This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. In January 2020, Canada unveiled a postage stamp featuring a 1906 championship team called the Halifax Eurekas to commemorate the history of black hockey players in Canada. And I'm going to talk about this in another podcast about the emergence of hockey. And I actually said on the radio that black people invented hockey in Nova Scotia. Now, someone called to dispute that, but I'm going to stick by that because what I know for sure is that the person that gets to record history gets to tell the story the way they want to. And what I know for sure is that the first Africans landed in Nova Scotia in Canada in the 1600s. And what I know for sure is that even in bondage, black folks, wherever they are in the world, figure out how to communicate, to have fun, to have joy, to sing, to sing through their pain, to play through their pain. And it makes sense to me that black people with their abilities would figure out how to use a hockey puck and skate on some ice and form a game. That just makes sense to me. But I know it's up for dispute. So today I'm going to talk about a man named Matthew DaCosta or Matthew DaCosta. I don't know if I could pronounce it properly. M-A-T-H-I-E-U. So I guess that's Mathieu, D-A-C-O-S-T-A, DaCosta. Who is he? Well, I'm today years old when I found out who he was. And I found out who he was following some breadcrumbs around this whole Nova Scotia hockey thing, which I'm going to talk about later. And why I want to spend time talking about him, because I know he is one of probably millions of African descendants who will probably never know their true life. He shows up in history in 1607, and he shows up because he is a linguist, right? So he is someone that lands, actually, let me just be accurate. He arrives in Nova Scotia somewhere between 1605 and 1608, He is the first recorded black person in Canada. He's free. And he shows up as a translator for the French explorer, Pierre de Gueux-Sur de Mont. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly either. You can Google search that and I'm not spelling it. All right. So Mathieu was the first known black person to live in Canada. Actually, the first known free black person, the first known enslaved person was from Madagascar. His name was Olivier Lejeune. He was also, I guess, with a French name, but he was from Madagascar. I want to talk a little bit about Matho da Costa, because what's fascinating is, again, he shows up somewhere between 1604 and, excuse me, 1605 and 1608. And we know that he's a translator. Here are the languages that he's, we know he's African. We know he's African because there's, there's one picture of him somewhere or some painting or some depiction of him. It's not a photograph, it's a, it's a drawing. And we know that he could speak Dutch, English, French, Portuguese, something called Mi'kmaq, and a pidgin basque, which is a language or a dialect from aboriginals, which is the first term for quote unquote Indians, which is what a native person is. So he also spoke whatever native tongue 
in any place that he was. Portuguese seemed to be the primary language, but as I'm now traveling a little bit, I'm realizing that the Portuguese were the first enslavers. They were one of the primary enslavers, right? So as we saw Swahili being a trade language throughout Africa, which I'm sure he probably spoke as well, the Portuguese traded in human beings, human cargo. So if you were traveling in the 1600s in the world, and Columbus, of course, was one of the first transatlantic enslavers, you had to know Portuguese probably first because they were the primary enslavers, the primary exporters of human cargo. How horrific is that? So that makes Matho da Costa so much more curious to me. And I, I pray that maybe somebody will pick up, you know, some historian will actually unveil some things. But what I'm finding is just as I'm reading about um, the Prince of Darkness, you know, Jeremiah Hamilton, the richest black man in the world at the time, uh, dominating Wall Street, there's a lot of mythology, there's a lot of made up stuff, and most of it is through the lens of a white writer. So I, I feel very misinformed. But that they talked about him told me that Matho, Matthau da Costa had to be a really powerful black man, he had to be a very revered black man. Um, there's some stories about like money being owed. He's visiting somebody in jail. There's a lawsuit. Like, there's just bits and pieces and shreds of history re re around him. But I think it's really interesting that he traveled the world as a translator of languages such as Dutch, English, French, Portuguese, and what they call pidgin or aboriginal languages that he could speak and he mastered them. And they said originally um, Portuguese, he learned their language very quickly. Um, and it was thought that his skill would be valuable in future cartography expeditions as they traveled and sailed the ocean blue. But what I also know, and I didn't read yet, they came before Columbus and I think maybe that should be on a list maybe for next year. I, I, what I know for sure is that Africans navigated because Africans had boats. And Africans sailed the Nile, and they sailed the ocean blue. I know Africans sailed the ocean blue because I know that there's something that looks like corn or maize on hieroglyphs, on, in, in walls, in Africa, in, in Egypt, in Nubia. The corn doesn't grow there. Why would they put corn or maize in any hieroglyphic depiction of anything unless they traveled somewhere? Uh, I've gotten into several arguments about why there are pyramids in Mexico. Where are there pyramids? Africa. There are pyramids in Mexico. Hmm. Huh. Well, you know, when people explore and exchange and trade and aren't and, and come from plenty, not lack, the desire to conquer, dominate, put a flag, enslave and b put people in bondage and decimate and kill and destroy. And it's not in your nature. You're just trading and traveling and trading and traveling. Shout out to Terry Egioma. That's her trade and travel. That's what she does, right? She trades stocks and she travels. It's very interesting. And I think that's what Africans do. <laughs> that's what they've always done, trade and travel. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, 
I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Not conquer, dominate, kill, and destroy. So you can exchange different things and bring back maize and corn and, and celebrate them on your hieroglyphs. And, and you can also teach people how to build pyramids. And then they build pyramids. And you're like, wow, this is wonderful. And go on about your business. This gentleman... Matheau da Costa traveled the world, spoke many languages, picked them up. So did Jeremiah Hamilton, which is interesting because they didn't know whether he was originally from the Cameroon or what, like they didn't know which African nation he was from. They dropped him off in Haiti. He faked a seizure so that he wouldn't have to work. And then they're like, you sold us damaged goods. And then he ended up traveling and then figuring out the systems. But what I'm saying is, we pick things up not because someone's taught it to us. And when I say we, I'm definitely aligning myself with Matho da Costa because I think he is one of millions of people whose stories will never be told and I need to tell them. And everyone who hears my voice, we need to share them because as I just mentioned in a previous podcast, black history, while it's mandated, is not being taught. And it's on purpose. Because every time we pull a string and find a Matho da Costa, we know that the greatness, if we keep pulling, is just going to tumble out. And I want to celebrate him because I feel like, number one, many of us aren't doing enough in terms of learning languages. There must be power in that. Because as he's traveling throughout and black bodies like his are being put into bondage, he was deemed valuable. And he shows up in many different places where he's, again, if he can speak Dutch, English, French, Portuguese, and native tongues, he's a valuable person. I struggle with English. I must do better. I have had on my to-do list for the last five years to learn Spanish. I know enough where if I was dropped off in a Spanish-speaking country, I would not starve to death, and I would definitely know where El Baño is. But it's not enough to be fluent, proficient, and more importantly, be able to be humorous in another language. Because I think that's the true mark of like success. If you can translate or transfer your humor into that language, that means you are you are winning. I also want to learn some Chinese other than ni hao ma, wong hong hao, bukachi. I want to know more than those four words that I know. Binkoi. I want to know more than that. Right. I want to be able to ha- be conversant. And I think it's important that we travel. I know for me, and I've talked about this in this space, you know, getting on airplanes has been a source of anxiety, but I've, I've, I've committed myself to traveling more, not just because it's important to see the world, but it's important to see the world through my lens. My trip to Africa, did I tell you I went to Africa? <laughs> my trip to, to Ghana was so eye-opening and I know how I'm seeing things. It's different than somebody else getting on that plane and landing in Accra and then going to Kumasi and the things that I brought back. Different because of the way I am positioned right now in my mind and my spirit. 
So when I watch other people travel, it's like, oh, look at the clear blue water, or look at the blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, what's the history? What's the culture? What do y'all, you know, I want to go to Australia and I'm not spending time. Yes, maybe I'll be on a beach or two, but I want to go into the bush and hang out with the Aborigine. And I want to talk about race and racism originally. What was going on here before England opened up its jails and founded, I'm putting up air quotes, a nation that was already inhabited by beautiful people who understood that you had to feed the earth certain things to prevent it from being on fire. Those fires that are happening in Australia is because the people that are there don't understand the earth. The original people do and did and understood certain things that they had to do, which the, the so-called civilized folk prevented them from their rituals that was literally keeping things in balance. That's what happens. Not only do you bring disease, you also bring a twisted view of things because you think your way is better and somehow their way is uncivilized. God, something else we're gonna explore. I was just having a conversation with my buddy Kwabana from Ghana and he was saying how his dad went back to his original religion. And then the, because the, right now I, I told you white Jesus is huge in Ghana. White Jesus is huge. And it's almost as if folk come, uh, these missionaries are coming there telling the natives that the way they practice religion is, is heathen. It's, 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 it's not, it's not according to the Bible and they're going to go to hell, but it's just the opposite because the respect for humanity and for uh, animals and for the earth in the native practice of religion and the worship of gods, not from a standpoint of these gods are higher than what have you, but that there's a hierarchy to how, how you worship. There's a, there's a process to how you get to the top. All of that makes sense to me. And I'm exploring it and I'm gonna explore it here. So I just, want to take time uh, during the course of these days to um, highlight names that I've never heard before. So I'm gonna bring them to you. And today's name is Matho da Costa, the first free black man to land in Canada between 1605 and 1608, Nova Scotia to be exact, which was a whole community founded by Africans actually uh, first uh, the first wave of Africans that came in and and let me just tell you you know these these Africans um, they when they settled in Nova Nova Scotia they were known as black loyalists came from the Revolutionary War right in America they were in bondage in America before America was America so let, let ponder that for a second before this whole independence and freedom they held in bondage people these founding fathers we know that they they the first presidents were bondage holders, especially George Washington. He had a lot of people in bondage, hundreds, and even went after a couple who ran away. But even before America signed that Declaration of Independence and claimed that all men are created equal and all this other nonsense, again, her greatest original sin is hypocrisy, the British freed black folk who were in bondage and told them, if you fight for us, we will grant you your freedom. And what they did was those blacks that took up arms against what became the United States of America were giving safe passage into Canada, into Nova Scotia. Uh, about 3,000 Africans settled there and they were known as black loyalists. Um, there was no forced migration. Um, th th excuse me, there was forced migration of the Jamaican Maroons in 1796 to there. All, all, you know, and that should be a whole other podcast on the Jamaican Maroons. Shout out to, to my, uh, my people from Jamaica. And yes, they're my people. 
I don't play those games. Uh, but nearly all the Maroons left there to found Freetown in Sierra Leone because they just were like, we ain't staying here. It's cold. Uh, the next great migration into Canada happened during the War of 1812 after African Americans escaping the bondage of the United States came flooding in again. Uh, they gained passage uh, uh, on British ships, and the British issued a proclamation in the South promising freedom uh, and land to those who wanted to join them. Now, you know... Folks are shady, so of course those black people coming to Canada didn't get exactly what they wanted, didn't get exactly what was promised either. Uh, but many of them founded uh, in Halifax in 1832 a whole community. So there were like many black Wall Streets going on in Canada. Um, and so shout out to my Canadian brothers and sisters. And um, again, I just I'm grateful for this space to be able to explore these things, to pick up these breadcrumbs and bring them to you and hopefully some of you will pick up breadcrumbs and take it even further um and let me know what you think follow me on twitter at karen hunter use the hashtag podcast also follow me on youtube at karen hunter show and subscribe to my youtube channel because that's dope as well and uh again thank you for supporting share this with anybody and everybody that you know all right till next time matho da costa know that name